to the Action Podcast. Here's your host, my dad. Well, welcome back to the XM Podcast. Uh, we are so thankful and, and appreciate you listening. Um, today is a really exciting show. I am uh, super excited about our guest today. And as I've shared on the podcast before, the, the first part of my life, I spent a lot of time uh, in the music industry and touring and making records. And I had an opportunity to share the stage with a lot of people that I would consider uh, huge influences on my life. And as I was preparing uh, some of my final thoughts for this morning, Uh, for this episode, I got some of those feelings again, because our guest has just been a huge influence on my clinical and ministerial life. And just, it's just uh, so exciting to have him on the show today. And so without further ado, I would like to welcome Dr. Terry Wardle uh, to the XM podcast. Uh, Dr. Wardle, thank you so much for being here. How are you today? Matt, I'm great. I've been anticipating this. Uh, I always look forward to spending time with someone that wants to talk about the Lord and his commitment to broken folk. Yeah. So uh, this is great. I'm, I'm really, truly happy to be here. Well, thank you. So I, I want to be uh, transparent about, um, I have been really excited about this interview as well. And over the last several months, I have been really trying to figure out what is going to be my opening question to <laughs> Terry Wardle. And I have... Um, written pages and pages and pages of opening questions. And it's so funny how God works that last night, my wife and I had gotten our kids down to bed and I went on a little walk and I'm walking and I'm, I'm just kind of praying and I'm thinking about this morning and, and, and all these really in, intense questions that I wanted to, to bring. And I heard God's voice say to me, just ask him about me. Mm. And I was like, I spent a lot of time though. I mean, a lot of time on all of these questions. So it hit me like a ton of bricks. And I, I guess my opening uh, question that I would like to talk about is just Jesus. And I, I, I'd like to, I don't know how that may resonate with you. And it hit me last night and I would be remiss if I didn't listen to him and say, uh, I just want to ask you to start out a little bit about Jesus. Oh, I, I'm actually glad that you did. And I'm smiling uh, as I sit here, because I was doing a podcast recently in a secular program, mm. and an individual said, you know, that we're not particularly religious. And I said, just so you know, I'm a Jesus guy. Uh, <laughs> I'm glad to do this podcast, but you need to know Jesus is coming up, and we're going to talk about him. Yeah. And that's exactly the way I feel. I have reflected now on my life. I'm 70 years old, mm. and I can say that for the last 48 years, Jesus has been leaning on my life to bring my narrative toward wholeness. And uh, it always boils down to Christ. When I have an opportunity to speak, I begin to talk about all the benefits that come to us because of the Father. And I always ask the question to folks, so how'd you get that? You're gonna go to heaven, right? How'd you get that? The answer, Jesus. I hear you have spiritual gifts. How'd that happen? Jesus. Somebody tells me you walk with authority. How does that happen? Jesus. So I think it all boils down to, uh, I'm a Jesus guy. Yeah. I, I love that. And I think that's so important because I know you and I are going to talk about a lot of things. We're going to talk about emotional health, mental health. We're going to talk about uh, wounding. and um, But ultimately, I, I wanted to start our time out and just go into the source. And when it all comes back down to it, when you boil it all down, 
it comes down to Jesus. And I, I heard you speaking um, on your podcast uh, called Sling Stones, where you were talking about um, the idea of sometimes we get caught up in doing things for Jesus instead of with Jesus. I, I wonder if you'd talk a little bit about the difference, because I hear people doing this, I'm going to do this for Jesus all the time. You hear that phrase, and I love the way you kind of shifted that mindset into a relational thing as in with Jesus. Years ago, I was obviously burning out uh, at that time because of doing things for Jesus. And suddenly the scripture out of John 5.19 grabbed me and it has never let me go. Mm. The Pharisees are asking Jesus, why do you do the things you're doing? And Jesus said, I only do the things I see the Father doing. And I realized that Jesus was in this relationship with the Father, and he wasn't thinking things up to do for the Father, but he was participating with the Father. And that became a major shift in my life as to, I'm not called to do everything. I'm not called to look at every single need out there and believe that I have to weigh in on it. What I need to do is to have a spirit of discernment coming by the Holy Spirit and asking, Jesus, what are you up to today that you want me to participate in? There's an author, he wrote a book called The Crucifixion of Ministry. His name is Andrew Purvis. He was actually a professor at Pittsburgh Theological Seminary. And he said that many people see their ministry as standing up to work for Jesus and Jesus stands behind us to support us. Mm -hmm. He said, that's got to reverse. Mm. We've got to see Jesus doing ministry, and we come to participate with him. And, and the, the whole idea of vocari, of voice, of being summoned. God is summoning us to intimacy, and he's summoning us to do the things he's doing. And I think there is such a freedom in that, that we begin to recognize that this is not a transactional faith. It's a relational uh, uh, faith, and that we get to be in intimacy with the Lord. Yeah. It, it, don't you feel like that's such a little, it's a subtle difference of, of pers uh, perspective that just kind of changes the whole concept, you know, the idea of, you know, Jesus is behind us to support us and, you know, we're doing stuff for Jesus. It's just, there's so many little nuances of life that they're just subtle things, but they change the whole meaning of what we're doing and why we're doing it. Absolutely. I remember being equally grabbed by the scripture in Ephesians 6. It, it's about spiritual warfare, but Paul writes, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. And for years, I kind of thought Paul was saying the same thing two different ways. And then I realized he was saying two different things. Being strong in the Lord has to do with knowing all that Christ has done for us mm -hmm. from the very first day we put our foot on the path of Jesus and that we become enamored with Christ. That's why Paul talks in, a, in Philippians about, I just want to know Jesus and fellowship of his suffering. He wanted an intimacy with him and I think that does make all the difference. It allows us to set down the goal of performance and enables us to embrace the relational component mm -hmm. of the Christian life. And isn't that an interesting thing that I feel like culturally we are so ingrained in the performance-based culture from the time that I can remember? Like if you get if you get four A's and, and you get a C, it's like, well, what, what happened there? You know, it's like it, you're rewarded. The, the idea of the rewarding 
is so early on. If you have a good uh, t-ball game, um, you you get the, the the your parents' affection. But if it wasn't a good game, they you know it's just we're set up that way. And I think sometimes we we map that then onto well, that's how God must feel about me. Well, I, I think that's absolutely right, Matt. And there's no doubt that we live in a performance-driven culture that from very early on says this, if you don't measure up, your deepest longings in life will never be met. Mm-hmm. And so we begin to work very early to measure up in order to receive love and significance, in order to be safe. All of a sudden, here comes Jesus, and he says, no, all of that can be yours simply by having faith in me. Yeah. I, I was captured just days ago with a, a passage I've read countless times, but Paul says in Romans 5 that we have access to God's grace through faith in Christ. Mm-hmm. So I began to imagine this treasure room that I have access to, and the only necessary ingredient is my faith in Christ. Because of what I believe Jesus has done, I get access to it all, and my performance is irrelevant to that particular concept. And and I do believe that a lot of people are beaten down trying to measure up, and Jesus wants them to know, I lived a perfect life, and by faith I assign your name to that life, and all that is mine in the Father is now yours. Yeah. So over the last couple months, um, uh, three other guys uh, and myself, we're in the Word every morning via text or the Bible app. And um, over the last couple months, we decided to dive into uh, some kind of crazy. And the the four of us read it together. And uh, it was powerful. It was tough because we all come from uh, some different backgrounds and some different things. And with each of us, it brought up different things. And it was great to process together. would you mind sharing just a little bit uh, for our audience who maybe have not read the book or, or know a little bit of your history um, to, to allow you to get to that point of, of understanding that you just kind of explained of, of realizing that um, it's, it's not a performance with Jesus, but yet we're so trained and in, ingrained in that. Maybe just sharing a little of your background. Thank you. I, I must admit that uh, Some Kind of Crazy was one of the most difficult books for me to write because I you. <laughs> uh, it's, it's sharing the whole narrative arc of my life. Mm-hmm. And to do that, I had to choose a certain degree of vulnerability. But my agent said, write it as though no one is looking over your shoulder. Mm-hmm. Write it as it happened. And so in terms of my life, I grew up in a blue-collar family, uh, rather, rather low blue-collar family. And... Uh, The background of my parents and my grandparents has a lot of violence and divorce and sexual misbehavior. And also, as a very small child, I experienced three or four significant traumas. Uh, One, a burning that I myself experienced, two deaths that occurred right right at my feet. Um, And it created a lot of anxiety for me and fear. And my parents didn't know how to do that other than labeling me. Mm-hmm. So by the time I became a teenager, I embraced a lot of anger, avoidance behaviors, and aggressive behaviors in order to try to kill that storm, uh, trying to find peace, trying to find some sense of security. And then what happened is uh, I go to college, and in my last semester of college, because of some Christian friends, I, I come to a moment of faith, 
And I was so moved by what I've discovered about Christ and his love that I decided that I was going to serve him the rest of my life. And I went right into seminary without any biblical background. Mm -hmm. Well, Matt, here's the problem. God had given me gifts, and so I was able to be effective in ministry, but I'd never dealt with the emotional baggage of the past, yeah. the abuse, the, uh, the fear, the traumas. And so here I am working hard for Jesus, measuring up for Jesus, ignoring my own internal storm until it became too much for me. And at a time when people thought that, boy, this guy is so successful. I had written a book or two. I'd been the president of a seminary, started a church that grew tremendously in California. I ended up having a, back, a, a breakdown that took me to a psychiatric hospital, not for a weekend, but for a month. Mm -hmm. And then for another facility for two weeks of aftercare. And what happened is the unrepaired emotional baggage of the past caught up with me and it overwhelmed me in my present efforts to perform for God. So there was this explosion that happened between me wearing myself out for Jesus and the unaddressed uh, trauma of the past. And it just led to this great breakdown. Mm -hmm. And out of that, I began a journey that, to be honest with you, I was very afraid of, but I met Jesus in ways I'd never met him before and found out that the Lord's one of the best mental time travelers you could ever experience yeah. because he's able to come into the emotional wounds of the past and help us download that pain and also speak to us from his perspective and take what is toxic and then turn it into something that is transformational. Yeah. So Some Kind of Crazy is a book that, that takes that journey. And I'm really rather honest about many places along the way where I had to let Jesus do something deep inside because of what I would call the unrepaired ruptures of the past. Yeah. It's um, it's not an easy book to read, as you said. It's what probably wasn't an easy book to write, and in, in, in that I think, as a reader, it connects on some level. We all have fractures, we all have wounds, and and when, in reading it, uh, I'm actually going through it with a couple of my clients as well. And um, you know, up till about chapter five, six, seven, many of them are like, Matt, I, ooh, I don't know if I. Do we do we keep going? Like, <laughs> should we stop here? And I'm like, no, you got to go through. And the thing is, is so many times we want to avoid the difficulties. We want to avoid the pain. We want to keep it pushed down. And the the thing I keep encouraging them is is as we continue to move through it, it's it's being able to to sit in the fire with Jesus and and be able to move through those things as as he talks about. I, I want you to talk a little bit about that. Um, you 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 said it kind of quickly. Where where God is the Alpha and the Omega. He's the beginning and the end, and he's able to pierce the veil of time in a way that is very hard for our brains to kind of reconcile with. And I know I've had an experience in my life where God was able to go into a, a, a tr past trauma and relieve me of the distortions that I believed were true of that event. Um, and when I explain that to clients, oftentimes they look at me like, you have lost your mind. Like they're, they, you, you're off your rocker, but I, there's so much truth in it. I'd love to hear your your um, explanation of uh, taking that a little further? Well, let me take a running start at that because I'm certainly not the first one 
to talk about this. Henry Nouwen wrote in a book, Living Reminder, that the suffering we most frequently encounter in ministry is a suffering of memories. And the reason we suffer in memories is because that memory didn't have a closure to it. And so I think a lot of people, if they're willing to be honest, will recognize that there are events that happened years ago that are very present in today, no matter how much you try to repress them. Mm-hmm. There's often a, still a little boy suspended in time because of a, an event that was very painful that no one helped him resolve. There's a, a young girl that's there that was abused. And so, as Susan Bryson says in her writing, we look to the future, and the first thing we see as we look to the future is the past, because we've been primed by what is unresolved to see the past in the future. And so, these past events have impacted the way we view God, the way we view other people, the way we view circumstances, and the way we view ourselves. And one of the great revelations that I think happened to the broken is when they first understand that. And then the next revelation is that Jesus wants to meet them back there, Mm -hmm. that he wants them to return with him, to touch that pain. You know, repressing pain only comes out in different ways. That's right. And what Jesus wants to do is he wants to walk back into the unprocessed emotion of the past. He wants us to bring these feelings that are very present out and express them to him. And then he wants us to receive his comfort and receive his presence in it. And that has happened now in my life countless times. And that's why I refer to the Lord as an excellent mental time traveler. He steps back into time with us. One of the reasons I think we're afraid to step back in time is we think, I don't want to feel that again, but we're not aware that we're already feeling it every time we're triggered in the present. There's a great book written by a physician, Ronald Rudin, and I love the title itself, Why the Past is Always Present. Mm. And it talks about this. There are many emotional ruptures of our past, Matt, that were resolved. We remember them, but in remembering them, we don't re-experience them. But there are also ones that have been traumatic that were never resolved. So in remembering, we re-experience, and that's precisely where the Lord wants to go to touch us. And he's done that in my life now and in our ministry enough to know that this is one of the contribution Christ wants to make to the emotionally wounded. Yeah. I I use the example sometimes, and you can tell me if this is a, this is ringing true, but um, when we're young, you know, we're told don't put your hand on the stove and inevitably, you know, somebody puts their hand on the stove and you're like, well, I'm never going to do that again. And when I'm talking to clients about um, allowing us to process the past. And they're like, oh, I've learned at a young age. I, I, don't, I don't touch the things that hurt. And I'm like, but your hand's on it all the time. You just don't realize it. You're constantly being burnt. And um, I ha- I've, I've had this, and I've wanted to ask you about this, this concept is so many times clients come in and they'll be like, uh, I'm dealing with a presenting depression or anxiety or, 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 or whatever it may be, but it has nothing to do with my past. Like it, it's, it's all, it's all with, with where I'm at right now. And, and they, they just don't want to go back there. What, what are some of your thoughts around th- that person? That's like, you know, I, I just want to stay in the here and now and move forward, but I don't want to reconcile with those things that are in the past. Well, uh, there's a couple of things I'd like to share. One of them is uh, 
desperation leads us to more openness. <laughs> and so uh, there comes a point where it's time. We use a little narrative assessment instrument that works this way. When you've been wounded in the past, it creates a lot of false beliefs and they're not conceptually encoded. They're very experientially encoded in the brain. And those false beliefs create a lot of emotional upheaval inside. And because of that, we end up choosing certain behaviors to try to still that storm or get what we didn't get. And so it, it seems to help people to be able to look and say, okay, you've come to me today and you're struggling with a sexual addiction and I get it and it's breaking your life, but I need you to know the sexual addiction as bad as it is, is a symptom of something deeper. Mm -hmm. I think it's a symptom, I would say to them, of some emotions that are driven by false beliefs that are linked to wounds deep inside. And, you know, for a lot of people, that becomes the light that turns on their willingness to say, I'm going to look at this because I'm desperate for freedom. Yeah. Wounds create false beliefs that drive a lot of emotional upheaval. And that's why people act out. You, you use this word, and, and it's, it's a great um, for the next kind of phase that I wanted to go into in, in our conversation. I've heard you say a lot of times that um, we need an episodic experience. And um, I, I think I know what that means, but I, I'd love to hear, hear what your thoughts are around that. And when somebody is going towards healing... Um, and I talk about it oftentimes in the cognitive versus the emotional uh, brain. Um, but I, I'd like to hear what that, what that would be, the episodic experience that's so important for the healing and transformational process. So Daniel Siegel is a psychiatrist that's written some tremendous pieces. And one of the things that he said, and now other traumatologists have said it, is that concepts alone will not rewire the brain. And the reason is because for, at least in terms of the issues of trauma, the brain is very much wired by the experiences that we've had, be they positive experiences or negative experiences. So when I went into the psychiatric hospital, they gave me a great deal of understanding concepts of what was wrong with me, but they didn't have an episodic component to help me re-engage those stories in a way that would download them from my body and from the right brain. And by the way, that's something that Daniel Siegel also says. Trauma is stored in the body and it's stored in the right brain and a concept just doesn't get at it. Yeah. So I, I often use an experience of how much I love sugar cookies because my grandmother next door made sugar cookies and I would walk over and I would feel the heat coming from the kitchen and I would smell the vanilla and I would walk in and I would see her in her apron and there those sugar cookies were out on the counter and she would hand one to me and I would bring it to my mouth and I would eat it and it just said to me sugar cookies are good and safe and they mean love. Mm. Now all of that is shaped in me because I experienced it when you have a traumatic event occur in your life, you've experienced it. And it is stored in your emotions. It's stored in your body. Uh, it's stored in feeling responses to sensations. A concept doesn't get at it. It will give you understanding. 
but we need these episodes. And the writer that really impacted me on this is Daniel Schachter. He's a behavioralist. Mm. Uh, he worked at Harvard and he said, we have, we have conceptual memory and we even have semantic memory, procedural memory, but none of those are as powerful as episodic memory. Mm-hmm. And, and if I may add one other piece to this, Matt, that's one of the reasons that Christians get frustrated because you had this negative experience that's deeply wired into you, in your body and in your right brain. And all of a sudden you read a scripture. Let's say someone was abandoned as a child and their parents put them in foster care and they never had that sense of safety and love. And then someone says, well, memorize the scripture that says God is always with you. Yeah. Well, Christians get frustrated because they memorize the scripture. But when the night is dark and the wind is howling, that scripture is a good concept but it calls up in you the, re- the memory of being abandoned, of being alone, and you feel it again. Mm-hmm. So that's one of the reasons that we need to position people not just to read Scripture, but to experience it so Scripture itself becomes an episodic memory that can help us in these, these dark, dark times. And then, so what are your thoughts then? How, how do we get to that? Because I, I hear... And I've said this too. It's like, I know this, but I don't feel this. It's like that duality of going, I know this isn't good for me, but I, 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 I know, I, I know I'm not um, a piece of crack, crap, but I feel like a piece of crap. You know, it's like, how do we get to that episodic um, event? I, I think there's two things that are necessary. And I believe that one precedes the other. The first is we need to go before the Lord with a good caregiver and ask the question, what's the unaddressed wound or lie or emotion in my life right now that's most in my way of freedom? Mm -hmm. We need to meet the Lord there. We need to meet the Lord in the abuse of the past, the trauma of the past, the rejection, those single statements, the reoriented the way we, we see ourselves. And we need to do that. And we need to do it by uh, being able to sit and to reimagine that event and allow the emotion to come and to speak it out to the Lord and then to meet the Lord in it and get his perspective. And so that, if you will, inner emotional healing process is very, very important, but it's not enough. Mm -hmm. What we then need to do is to be able to go to scripture in such a way that we're encoding scripture, not as a concept but we're encoding it more experientially. And, and to be honest with you, St. Ignatius, you know, 500 years ago talked about this, the use of the imagination. There's a behavioral scientist that I've read. His name is Zapolsky, and he has a f- title of the book's funny, but the book's hard to read. It's called Why Zebras Don't Have Ulcers. And his basic premise is this. Human beings have the ability to use the imagination to reimagine what has happened and to imagine what might happen. And what human beings don't know is in the imagining, the brain doesn't tell the body this isn't happening. The brain begins to shoot off all the chemical responses as though it's truly happening. Mm-hmm. Now, God gave us that ability, so we need to turn that for good. Mm-hmm. So what do we need to do? We need to take a scripture that God loves us or that he fills us or that he's always with us. And we need to say, Holy Spirit, take over my imagination now and give me a picture, a moving picture, if you will, of this being true, of you being with me, of you holding me, of you caring for me. And then as we allow the imagination to go there, 
feelings begin to arise, and all of a sudden we're encoding scripture episodically as opposed to uh, conceptually. Mm. Now, obviously, we need to teach people how to do this, but it is very, very important. Yeah, I spend a lot of time that <clears throat> thinking about bad things that had happened or anticipating what might happen, and then I wonder why I'm so tense. Mm-hmm. I need to be able to use that same gifting in the power of the Lord to see him yeah. in my life today, yesterday, tomorrow. Mm-hmm. That, w- that moment you just said that, it reminds me of the famous uh, Mark Twain quote where he talks about, I've had many anxieties about many things that most of which never happened. That's right. You know, mm-hmm. living in that, you know, I, I, I try to allow the, 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 I work through my own anxieties and, and probably still am. And, and with clients that, you know, we spend so much time living with the anticipation of things that we have that are, are not even coming yet, but yet we live with all of this um, pain and, and suffering that we've been carrying. And it's like, you're constantly in this, this battle. Um, so m- my next place I, I wanted to kind of go to is then, Oftentimes, as we're working through a trauma, um, more often than not, there's another person involved who could have caused that trauma. And I wanted to pull out uh, an excerpt of some kind of crazy where um, the guys that I, I did the study with, we all just, for whatever reason, probably because we have people like this in our lives that we felt like, wow, we're really being convicted in this moment. But near the end of the book, you're talking about a pastor that was hypercritical of you. And uh, you just happen to be in the same place at the same time. And there's uh, a very visual way you're writing in in the book at that point where you're getting out of the car and it's like everything in your body is going, let's let's get out of the car. But I think your son had walked far away. And all of a sudden it's like, I am now going to have to engage with this guy who was very unkind to me and, and did some really uh, difficult things that, that you probably would have wanted to leave in the past, but you allowed the process and the experience to happen. And um, I don't want to give the whole thing away because I want you to share, but there was a there was a moment where I think God kind of shed some of that um, that history and that past that, that maybe both of you were holding on to and a conversation happened. I think that's a huge problem that people carry of the people who have wounded us or hurt us that um, we don't allow for that moment to happen. I probably went too far. I should have stopped a little earlier and let you dive into that. But um, can you speak to that at all? I remember that moment as though it happened an hour ago. (laughs) It came so unexpectedly. Uh, Mm -hmm. It had been years earlier that this particular pastor was very aggressive in opposition to what I would see as a more spirit open ministry that I had in their town. And he caused a lot of problems. And it was one of the contributing issues to my own breakdown. Now, let's just put this in perspective. (laughs) I had already worked on those issues with the Lord. Mm -hmm. I had met him in it, him being the Lord. So I wasn't going to this man to try to resolve This was already something God had resolved in my heart. I didn't care whether I ever saw him again, but when I saw him, I could feel those feelings rising up within me. Mm -hmm. And when he realized who I was, I knew he was feeling the same way. And we started to walk, and I was literally saying, Lord, I don't know what to do here. 
And all the Lord said to me was honor him. And yeah. I was like, honor him. Yeah. And he said, bring up all the things you know he has done for me and thank him for that. I mean to tell you, because God had dealt with a lot of the baggage inside, I was able to start saying these things to him. And as I did, it was as if the crust on both of us just fell to the ground. Yeah. And about 15 minutes into the walk, we look forward and I see my son kind of looking around a turn, wondering if everybody's still okay. And they're shocked that we're in this full-blown conversation. I want to put this in perspective. I I think every one of our emotional grieving, our losses have to be grieved before the Lord before we grieve them to the person. Otherwise, we become the wounded wounder. So I had grieved this. I had met the Lord in it. He had brought me freedom. And now I was able to turn and appreciate him for who he was and what he had done to serve Christ. Mm. And, you know, I could feel him soften as I softened. I I think it's wrong and unhealthy for any caregiver to suggest that a person that's been wounded by another directly go to that other and try to resolve it and tell them how they hurt them because we can become the wounded wounder. We need to do that before the Lord first. That's really, I think it's, it's really powerful. And I, I think that's where a lot of people get stuck, you know, um, I've, especially when it comes to, and maybe you can talk to the the idea of our, and I, I use the word primary caregivers because sometimes it's not always a parent. It could be a grandparent. It could be a an adoptive situation or, but whoever that, that adult is in our lives that later in life, um, so much of our view of ourselves, our view of the world is shaped in those times. And um, I've just met uh, with so many people that are so hurting because of uh, other hurting people who who hurt them and going through uh, some kind of crazy. I mean, the first part of the book, I mean, it's just one unhealthy interaction that you have with another adult after another. And, and I think that's why most people who read that book can relate on some level because our experiences aren't the same. But on some level, you you probably connected with with something, um, whether it was a parent or an uncle or a friend or whatever it may be. And I'm just really interested to hear about that that experience for you. I believe that vulnerability is necessary to healing, but vulnerability begins in a grace-filled community. It doesn't begin by going to the people that have actually hurt you. Hmm. And so as I began to deal with the issues in my life, and this happened over time, I did realize that a significant part of my wounding came from the people that cared for me as a child, particularly my mother, but also my dad. My mother would have been diagnosed with borderline personality disorder. So I never knew when I was going close to her, was I going to get hugged or was I going to get hit? Mm-hmm. And so that created a real hypervigilance on my part and add to that trauma. And you can see there was a lot Uh, of emotional baggage that came with that. So as I began healing, I had to know what were proper boundaries to set with people who have hurt me and let that healing continue so that I can begin to see them from another perspective, Mm -hmm. that I don't see them simply from my wounding, but I'm able to see them out of my healing to better appreciate their own wounding. Mm 
And that began to happen. But I want to be able to say to anyone that's listening, that didn't happen in a single afternoon. (laughs) Right. That's part of my journey. And uh, you'll realize that I'm clear at the end of some kind of crazy. Yeah. Before I start talking about the healing of my mother and my dad and my grandmother and my grandfather and how I began to see them from that perspective. But there was a lot of healing and a lot of boundary making that had to happen before that took place. I think that's, um, I appreciate you answering that in that way, because I think it's important because it it is a process and it's something that may have to uh, be done. And essentially what we're talking about is like a forgiveness walk and being able to go through that and, um, I think a lot of people put pressure on themselves to maybe even do that too early. And I'm glad that you said that there were boundaries in that. And I think that's so important to recognize because um, it's, it's not something, and I think forgiveness looks different um, for a lot of people. Um, Doesn't mean you have to get back into the same relationship the same way it was um, and, and, you know, allow yourself to be continuously wounded. And I I just think that's powerful. I also think it's really interesting that you said that all of that does come at the end of the book. I mean, it's like you, you see all of this stuff happening over time in the in the uh, first part of the book and then the process that you went through and it's not till the end that you start really reconciling with those relationships Uh, about 10 years ago uh someone at a seminar asked so is your relationship with your mother healed and this is what i said my relationship with my mother is healed it is being healed it is yet to be healed Mm -hmm. and that That's what I think is true for most of us, that there will be pieces of our relationship that we realize, okay, I'm at peace with that now. But there's more of the story, more to come, and we want to stay on that healing journey. That's good. So I'd like to talk just a little bit uh, before we wrap up about September 21st through the 24th. And um, this is such a big deal for us. Uh, Emerge Ministries is bringing you and your team uh, and we are opening it up to the public. We emerge. We do trainings all the time, but very, very, very rarely do we open it up to people outside of, of the team. But um, maybe just share a little bit about um, what people could expect. And if somebody's listening right now, and, and they're a mental health therapist, or they're a pastor, or they're somebody that's just really interested in what we've been discussing, or um, uh, let's talk a little bit about that event and 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 allow people to get excited about it as certainly as we are. Well, the the event is what we call a formational prayer seminar, and we love those words. Formation: we're going to be formed more by Christ in these times. Prayer is going to come through an exchange through Jesus. And seminar: we're going to be integrating teaching opportunities, worship, uh, small group experiences, and episodic moments. And all of that's going to be geared at equipping every person there to position individuals with emotional baggage to experience the presence of Christ. We're going to integrate neuroscience. We're going to integrate behavioral science. There will be theology, and we're going to integrate the spirit and times together in order that we can show how individuals can find freedom in Christ. Matt, I think I'm accurate in saying to date, we've seen about 7,000 people go through this seminar. Really? And uh, that's been not only locally, but certainly globally. And the reports of how God meets us is very powerful. And 
I think it's going to be a great experience on two levels. It not only will equip us, but we're going to have encounters with the Lord ourselves. There are going to be moments when the Lord reveals our own issues, and there's going to be room for us to be able to talk about that and deal with it and have these Jesus moments that we're talking about. Yeah, I love that. I, I've said this many times, and I'll repeat myself. You know, I've been—I'm uh, a Ashland Seminary uh, graduate, and I, I've been trained in CBT, uh, EMDR, IFS, all these train. I've got them all, but I've never seen anything like a Holy Spirit encounter when it happens in my office. There, there's not a therapy on this planet that that comes close to when a client encounters a Holy Spirit moment. And um, it's so, so powerful and, and so great to be able to um, just be a part of a ministry like Emerge that is encouraging of that, encouraging of us in, in, in doing these types of things and praying with clients and bringing scripture into, into, the, into the session, which is just amazing. Terry, thank you. Thank you so much for spending time with me today. I, I'm, I'm really... I, I've tried to hold it together, but I've kind of been giddy all this whole time going, I'm literally doing an interview with Terry Wardle right now. And so it's, it's, it's a huge honor. Anything you would like to um, say and leave with our, with our audience today? There's nothing in the world like meeting the presence of Jesus. And when we can meet Jesus in the healing moments of the past, suddenly we look to the future in completely new ways. Mm-hmm. And so It is my privilege to say to individuals, I'm a person that's been beat up, wounded, uh, uh, knocked down, and yet Jesus has been leaning on my life all these years to draw me toward his wholeness. And I believe that's true for all of us. And I can't wait to be with you face to face. I honestly believe we're gonna have a great time. And the caregivers we're bringing, they've done this countless times. They're over the moon about this. It's (laughs) as if they've never done it before. So I can't wait to get together and see what God's gonna do. Well, thank you for that final word. And I am super excited to meet you in person. This is the second time we've had a a Zoom call, but uh, to actually meet in person, I I think it's going to be great. Thank you so much for your time and God bless you, my friend. God bless you. Well, I don't know what to say other than that was awesome. What a gift and an honor to spend that time with Terry. I could have kept this recording going well into season four and just listened to him share his thoughts and perspectives, but well, we all need some food and water. Thank you, Terry, for being on the XM Podcast. I cannot wait to spend some time with you in September. So here's a few things I want you to check out. Terry's podcast is called Sling Stones, and it is on all platforms. He has a plethora of books, and here's a few that I've read and enjoyed, and eventually I promise I'm going to get to them all. Some Kind of Crazy, which we mentioned a lot today. Really, really great book. The book Wounded, I highly suggest that one as well. From Broken to Beloved, uh, another book, Every Breath We Take, uh, which is slightly different than the police song. I'm kidding. And Identity Matters. Uh, There's many, many more. So check out healingcare.org for more info about Terry and his ministry. If you are interested in this seminar that we've been talking about in Akron, Ohio at Emerge on September 21st through the 24th, Go to Emerge.org now. All the information is up and it's all there. Well, until next time, or when our Savior comes, God bless.